Greetings, and thank you for checking out this sermon from Kingdom Life Community Church in Morrison, Illinois. If you'd like more information about our church, go to kingdomlife.global. And now, here is the sermon from our pastor, Steve Harmon. All right. Here we go. Repeat after me. I'm a child of God. The Father loves me. The Father forgives me. The Father wants me. I am His, and He is mine. Therefore, my past won't haunt me. The future doesn't scare me, because in His presence is where I live. Amen. All right. Well, I had to take off for Sunday school, because I realized that as I I sat down in Sunday school that I had no glasses. And as most all of you know, I'm to that point where I don't do well close up without some extra strength. And so I went back to my office and found none. And so causing a little bit of worry, I checked a few other places and found none. So I had to scoot off to the dollar store and uh, grab some so I could at least read the Word of God to you today, right? Amen. Thank, thank you for the dollar store uh, and cheap readers. Okay. Or I should say inexpensive readers. Okay. Uh, open your Bibles, if you will, to uh, the Gospel of Matthew, and we will be looking at chapter 16, starting, haha, starting uh, in verse 24. Um, as most of you probably know, um, we've talked about this from time or two that uh, this idea of discipleship is um, has been flowing in my this is just not going to work okay um, has been you know just kind of getting kind of down deep and, and really trying to figure out what what is discipleship and there's there's so many things and we talked about a little bit uh, the last week that discipleship has in at least the American church has has kind of soaked up a lot of different things, but one of the things it's, it's, it's soaked up is, is kind of not really discipleship. It, it really what has happened in the American church is what's drifted in is this idea of consumerism, right, and the following of business models to grow a church, in which case, because you follow maybe a business model to build a church, then you inherently build within the people uh, a consumerism about church as opposed to disciples. And so what begins to happen then is when we begin to do church in that business model and consumerism sphere, then we, we don't make disciples like Jesus told us to make disciples. We make consumers. And consumerism is great for capitalism, but it's not good in the church. And for instance, um, uh, and I'm not picking on any particular church. I think we as a church have, ha, are not really different in the sense. Um, we, our metrics in the past have been, uh, in, in, the, in the Church of America today, our metrics have been to define success were how many people were in seats and how much money was in the offering plate. And if there were a lot of people in seats and you had a good offering, then you would define that as success. And if people keep coming back, might even call that revival, right? Uh, but they keep coming back. And so not only that, but they keep depending on the show, which is the platform ministry, to entertain them week to week. And then the show begins to really refine how well it can do. So basically, you ever remember the Dick Van Dyke show? Yeah? Really? Rob and Laura Petrie. And um, Rob worked uh, in, for uh, Alan Brady, who was the, had a television show. And so it was a show about, and so every week, Rob and, and his crew would write the show. And you got to make it better. The joke's got to be fresh. It's got to be entertaining. You got to capture the people so they don't flip the channel to something else. And so sometimes what begins to happen in the show is you do everything you can and you grab people uh, to you that can help you keep the show good for the consumers so they don't take their rear ends and their tithe checks to a better show down the block. 
problem is it doesn't create anything spiritually. It doesn't disciple anybody in the word. It doesn't challenge, and you don't talk about challenge, and you don't talk about sin, because that could make people feel uncomfortable, and if they feel uncomfortable and challenged, they may not want to come back. And if they don't want to come back, then all of a sudden you're no longer a success because of how you determine success within your church. Now, it's true, we, we don't just want to offend people, you know. I don't want to say, Chris, good to see you. What an ugly shirt. No, I don't want to say stuff like that from the platform. It's actually kind of a nice shirt. It matches your eyes. Okay. I don't want just to offend people and, and to be a jerk on the platform. No, I don't want to do that either. So what, what is it? What is the goal and, and what are we shooting for? And I think so many times we try and set those goals and we try and set that vision as if it wasn't already defined in the Word of God. If the Word of God is living and true, then everything that it says and everything Jesus says and everything the, the, that Paul and Peter talk about when it comes to making disciples, establishing the church, and all that, is enough. It is the framework, the foundation upon which we build the apostles and the prophets, right? So, if we look at all that, before we, before we be build a, a, a strong church, we have to build strong people because the church is not... The physical address of this place, 11429 Ward Road, this is not the church. The church is you. And actually, another word you could really use that's maybe a little better that defines church in the New Testament is actually assembly. And I kind of like the word assembly. One, because we're not used to it. And two, because it immediately we drift away from thinking of a building and assembly, we start thinking of people, right? And so there's an assembly. Jesus had an assembly, a group of people that he poured himself out and into. And so before we go any further about what's out there in the future, we need to kind of take a step back and say, what does it mean to be a true disciple of Jesus because it is not consumerism. It is not the show. We've got a really good show for you today, right? Ed Sullivan. Surprised I know that? I'm only 51 and I can talk to you about Ed Sullivan, right? Okay. Half of you have no idea what I'm talking about. The other half does. That's actually good. Okay. Means we've got a good blend. Um, so when we talk about what does it mean to, to be a, a, a good disciple, um, let me tell you about some things, what it's not. Jesus wasn't really concerned about making his disciples comfortable. Do you ever notice that? Hey, guys, welcome. Come on in. Got some comfy seats. Let's just gather around, and let's just talk about <laughs> me. And uh, it won't be too challenging We'll all feel good, and then we'll, I'll manifest some bread. Sound good? See, I'd, that's what we do in the American church. But it's not what Jesus did. As a matter of fact, Jesus was pretty, pretty challenging, wasn't he? There were some pretty tough things that he said that if you're in a church that is about consumerism and has the wrong metrics, then you look at those scriptures and you boil them down from how challenging they are and then you kind of mold them and shape them and make them more comfortable and palatable so people will stay. But Jesus didn't do that. We can't do that. And like I said... It's not about just offending you or anything like that, just to be offensive. I was talking to a guy the other day, and we're, we're doing spiritual gifts, and, and, and my two highest spiritual gifts is one, uh, prophecy, and two, apostolic. 
And as I was talking with a guy, I was probably a few months ago, I was like, you know, I've become to realize sometimes that sometimes people use the word prophet or prophetic just to continue to be a jerk. They say really harsh and tough things with no love and then blame it on the gift. And I'm like, man, you're like, Steve, what are you talking about? Well, if you, if you read 1 Corinthians 13, right? He's talking about gifts from the very beginning, right? right? If, 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 if I speak with the tongues of men and angels, right, but I have not love, you're what? You're sounding brass, which means you can say a bunch of maybe, maybe heavenly and wisdom things, but because it is not associated with the greatest gift, which is love, it doesn't mean anything to the people that it's being spoken to. Which means, guys, you're, the gift that you have and what we're talking about, you know, in Sunday school, it, it doesn't come from you and your ability. You actually minister with your gift from his presence. So your gift is governed by his presence and released in love to touch and change hearts so that they'll respond to the goodness of who he is. So I never scratch that. Never say never. I'm striving to not release a gift through my ability. I want to release the gift that God has given me through his presence and love. Because it's his presence and his love that comes to me, flows from me, that just nails people to the wall in good ways and has the lasting impact as opposed to me being just maybe a good theater guy and a good platform guy and make people feel good for a few minutes but have no lasting impact once they leave the sanctuary. But ministering from his presence is different because if I'm seated in the heavenlies and all my blessings are in the heavenlies, then what I minister from is from the heavenlies that flows to me, through me, to those who need it. And, and here's the thing. The gift is not just for the church. We were talking about this the other day, that a number of the healings that Jesus did were to unsaved people. He didn't say, okay, I'll heal you, but you got to say a sinner's prayer. Did he? They were hopeless. Didn't have a whole lot of faith, but some had mustard seed. For at least to know that he was different. For a woman to crawl and touch the hem of his garment. For a guy to beg, Lord, if you are willing, make me clean. Both of those two had diseases that were defilement and shouldn't have been around anybody according to the law. But Jesus is a promise that is before the law. And so as Jesus becomes walking on, he's not afraid of your sin and your defilement. You want to know why? Or your affliction or your disease. Do you want to know why? Because he's going to take that upon himself on the cross anyway. He's not going to be defiled by you. You are going to be purified by him. So what does it mean to be a disciple? Well, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, he says this. Then Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Well, that's not going to win friends and influence people, right? And listen, I'm not against business models. Don't get me wrong. I'm not against strategies. Please, don't get me wrong. But I do not want to have a strategy without his presence. I don't want to grow anything without his presence. You remember when, when uh, God was so angry at the Israelites? And he's like, Moses, take them to the promised land. They get the promised land because I promised it to them, but I ain't going with them. 
and Moses is like, whoa, we're, we're not going to enter a promised land without the promiser. Lord, if you're not going, I'm not going. If I'm not going, they're not going. Because there's a man who finally understands that whatever the Lord promises, his presence is usually surrounded from it and, and, and through it. And God has said, because of what they've done, you go to your promised land, I'll fulfill what I said, but I ain't going to be there, I ain't going to dwell there. You know, some people would probably have been okay with that. Would have been just fine. We'll just live our life and, and God will be just this thing up there in the sky. But Moses, I would assume probably Joshua and Caleb would, would understand. A few people would understand that, man, we, we, we don't want to go anywhere without the presence of the Lord. We don't want to minister outside of the presence of the Lord. We don't want to do anything. These guys are used to the presence of the Lord coming on that temple as a cloud by day and a fire by night. And Moses going into the temple, being in the presence of Almighty God. Joshua standing outside the temple, and maybe he's not peeking in, but I'm telling you what, he's feeling some, some, he's feeling some goosebumps on the outside because the glory of God is in that temple. And so there's something in Joshua that realizes there's really something inside here. Moses is like, I don't ever want to leave this place. God is, is upset at the Israelites because of what they've done. Go, I'm not going with you. No! I can't, I can't go anywhere without your presence, man. If anybody is, one wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, I look at that word uh, deny, and the definition is, is to forget oneself, to lose sight of oneself and one's own interests. You see, in, in, in Eastern meditation, like yoga, listen, stretching's not bad. The devil doesn't get to keep stretching, okay? You know, stretching is okay for your body. So don't look at yoga and say, it's Eastern meditation, so I don't stretch. That, he doesn't get to keep stretching. Yeah, I no. But the spiritual part that can come up, come upon with that with yoga is is Eastern meditation, and and what that is is like they you sit down, and you empty yourself. They really show up because they sit down cross legged I tried to show you, but it I yeah. Dan and a few other elders would have to lay hands on me to straighten my legs out, but. You sit down, you get quiet, and you just empty yourself. Empty, empty, nothing, right? What Christianity does is says, hey, listen, deny yourself. Empty yourself of yourself so that you can be filled with his spirit. See, Christianity doesn't want you to be empty for empty's sake. Christianity wants you to empty yourself so you can take on more of the Spirit of God that will dwell within you. This side of earth, you're never going to be perfect. We get that. But the more I, I walk on this earth, the more I'm, I'm really beginning to realize how unimportant some things are and how important other things are. And one of the things that I'm realizing is, like is, is to become a true disciple is not dependent on what people think about me. It's not dependent on how well you like me or I like you. I think we like each other pretty good. But that's not the determining factor of whether I'm a good disciple or not, or you're a good disciple or not. So as I'm walking down this road of life, I'm really seeing, you know, the older I get, the more I see I could have done with a lot less of myself in my earlier years and a lot more of him. As, I, as I'm growing, I'm finding out that the self within me, the carnal nature within me, is really ugly and there's nothing really pretty about it whatsoever. And at the tender age of 51, almost 52, it's like you feel like you're just beginning to catch and understand this. But I'm telling you, if you can catch this even younger, I, you know, Part of the flesh, maybe, I don't, I don't know. Forget that. But as I look back on my life, 
I see how much massive opportunity that I was gifted by God to be impactful for the kingdom if I wouldn't have cared about what people thought of me. If I would have cared a little bit more of what he thought of me and his desires, right? And, 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 and I don't live in my past, but I use it as a, a propellant in the future to say, hey, listen, I, here are my mistakes. I don't want to do those anymore. There's a whole bunch of new ones waiting for me. So let's release these old mistakes. Let's pursue the Lord. Let's empty myself of myself the best way I can so that I can be filled with the glory of Almighty God. Because my body is defined in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 as the tent or the temple of his Holy Spirit. And so becoming a disciple, understand, I mean, listen to what he says. My sheep know my voice. The sheep that know his voice are the sheep that have denied themselves of the other voices of the world to hear the voice of their shepherd. This is not about legalism. This is not about, you better get out there and listen to Jesus or else. Because that certainly doesn't work. It's not about, let's just hang out at a coffee house and think good thoughts. No? And we'll drink decaf so, you know, we don't get too spirit-filled. No? It's not that. It's, it's, it's not about me hitting you over the head and telling you about how horrible you are. Or you hitting me over the head and saying, I wish you were better. It's about taking this, this journey and looking through the painful aspects of our life with the Holy Spirit. Realizing where I've, I really blew it. Being forgiven. Being empowered to still continue on the journey with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to be impactful for the kingdom. And I want more of that. So this denying of myself is really this idea about, about um, it's all the, all the things out there in life that would appeal to my flesh, the fame, the fortune, the lottery, what I would do with all that money, Lord. Most of it appeals to my flesh. Oh, I, I'd, I'd help the poor starving people in New Guinea. But I'd feel you a whole lot more of my flesh. I don't need $500 million. Because I know, I'm, I'm realizing what the Lord has known a whole lot of time, I can do so much more with so much less because I'm dependent on his power working through me not on what's in my wallet my stock portfolio or any of that kind of stuff see I would try to minister out of my abundance of what I have instead of the abundance of who he is I'm hoping I get healed of that and I can take 500 million but I don't know Discipleship is costly, so I, I'm denying myself. Now, listen, nobody's offered me $500 million. I've denied it. I'm not saying that. But what I am denying is my right to myself to make decisions about what I want to do when I want to do it to make my flesh happy. See, there, there comes this collision between my flesh and my spirit that Galatians would say, right? Galatians said, well, listen, your flesh... You know, wars against your spirit and your spirit wars against your flesh. And in an old um, version of the New Living Translation, it, it kind of worded it this way. It doesn't anymore. It's a, kind of a paraphrase. I get it. But it says your, your spirit wars against your flesh and your flesh wars against your spirit. And he says, and, and they said it this way, and, and your decisions are never free from the conflict. And I was like, oh. Wow. That means, that means that when I'm becoming a disciple and I'm denying myself, every decision that I make on this earth is surrounded under of, am I going to be a disciple filled with the Spirit or am I going to be filled with this flesh? I have to look at it that way. I can't separate that 
Jesus is here in the church waiting for me when I come on Sunday to Jesus having every aspect of my being. So I got to deny myself. He's got to go, that old carnal guy. You know, I don't even like him very much anymore. He used to be a great guy in my younger years. He tried to please everybody. He'd do the stupidest stuff in the world to get noticed. I've told you this before. That old guy was 130 pounds and 75 of it was his mouth. He could talk a good game, scare some people. Was a fantastic basketball player. In his own mind. He was athletic, prided himself on what he could do. Oh, he wasn't going to go be a professional sport, but he'd make people think twice. A lot of pride in that young guy. There wasn't a whole lot of room for the Holy Spirit to operate in his life. As a matter of fact, the main job of the Holy Spirit for that old guy was keeping him alive. And then that guy gets saved in 98, 97, excuse me. And the process begins of the emptying of the self. And let me tell you something. I wish that was like so automatic and one time. I wish that once I got saved, all of a sudden the old guy was dead and he turned into either Billy Graham or, you know, Sister Teresa or somebody so, or Dora Bokey, who used to go to the Nazarene Church. That lady was a saint. And, and uh, somebody like that. But I came to the Lord, right? And I came to the Lord and I knew something changed, but this stuff did not go away. It just like started the war. And now I've got decisions to make of of what God is wanting to do and calling me to. And then I've got the old flesh. Hey, hey, you remember this stuff? This was really fun. Remember when you'd go to the bar with your friends and you guys would all just get drunk and figure out how you were going to get home or drive home? You remember when you'd just do the craziest stuff? Remember? Remember how that fed you? Remember how that made you feel good about yourself for maybe like five seconds? And so there's this bam, bam. It's, it's, like a, it's like a heavyweight boxing match going on in your head about the old life and the new life. You know, the, the Native Americans would describe that there are two wolves that live inside of you, and the one that wins is the one you feed. I'm like, oh, isn't that so true? The one that wins the battle is the one that I feed, and I want to starve carnality. And I have the power through the Holy Spirit to do it if I will listen and receive it. If I will understand that I, as a disciple, am denying myself. I'm denying my right to my own life. And not only that, but the next thing is I'm going to take up a cross, aren't I? Interesting that Jesus is using this language. Now, when you go back and you look at the word cross... It's a pretty good translation. It means just what it says. Talk, it's the cross that Christ will crucify himself on. It is the cross is something that the Romans and the Greeks borrowed from the Phoenicians. It was a torturous death. And the worst of the worst went on it. And the Phoenicians would do it, the Greeks would do it, and the Romans were perfecting it. So Jesus goes to a torturous death on a cross, right? A guy who doesn't deserve it. A guy who's not committed sin and committed no crime, but he's going to a cross. And and not only is he going to a cross, but he's receiving several beatings and blood is spilled. Blood is not just spilled on the cross. Blood is spilled all throughout Jerusalem. He's being whipped on the way to the cross. He's being beaten. He's been scourged. He's got crown of thorns that are piercing him, blood streaming. Back, just a bunch of ground up beef from what they did to him. 
Because blood is not going to just come from hands and feet. It's not going to be that clean. Your sin is not going to be that clean. What they did to him made Jerusalem kind of bloody. For what purpose? So that I could have power to do the same thing to my flesh. So that even though I I don't deserve it, I may not feel like it, He's done that for me so that I can be found in him and, then, and I can be like him. And being like him is not just about being in the glory. It's about living my life through the decisions that I make that reflect that I'm his disciple. So I'm not making dumb decisions anymore that deal with my flesh. I'm trying to make decisions throughout my entire life that reflect in me and to the world that I'm his disciple. So he says, anybody who wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Well, that's, that's totally different than our culture, isn't it? It's totally different. The culture says, man, I mean, when I was growing up in the 80s, man, you had to go to college. If you were ever going to be anything in your life, you had to go to college. And you, first thing you got to do is you got to go to college and you got to get in debt so you can make something of your life. Wait, what? Don't get me wrong. I am not against college. I am not against college. Not against universities. Any of that stuff. But what I wish I would have had at that tender age was somebody who had a spiritual voice, or I would have sought out somebody that had a spiritual voice that would have said, Steve, forget about college. What, what is God really saying to you? Because where I was patterning my life after was what the culture was telling me to do. There was nobody speaking into, and if I didn't go to college, then I had to get a job, and I had to make money. That was to be successful. That, that's what they taught us, right? There was nobody saying, Steve, you don't have to go to college. Do an internship. Go, go pursue what you did. Go pursue something. Draw closer to the Lord before you start making decisions about how the rest of your life is supposed to go. Go experience the broader body of Christ. Allow the Spirit to to lead you, to grow you, and then to show you. And the goodness of God is, although it didn't happen that way, He still turns things around to get you to where you're supposed to go. That's the goodness of God. He's just good. So I'm doing what God has called me to do from the time I was five years old and preaching against you'll go to hell if you smoke and drink. Sorry, that was a Nazarene. That's the only thing I knew about holiness at that time. If you drank and you smoked, you're going to hell. And it was Steve's job at five years old to stand and preach to his relatives when they came over for dinner about hell. That's how you be a good little Nazarene back in those days. I also got saved and delivered from that, by the way. But saving my life is in context with, I want, it, I want a part of me that's mine. I want a part of me that, that, that it's, just, it's, just, it's just private, and I can have my own personal things. But he says, you want to you you save your life. You want to make decisions apart what you think is, is going to make you happy instead of, and listen, this is all because is, we, we, we think that if I give everything over to Jesus, that he's going to call me to Africa. That scares the crap out of people. Because it's like, I'm not prepared for Africa. Jesus knows this. Jesus knows you're not that good. He doesn't call, Jesus doesn't call the qualified to go to Africa. He qualifies them himself. All he's asking of you right now is to empty yourself to be filled with him. And don't make decisions that 
are going to make you happy, but be willing to lose your life. Because he says when you, when you make decisions about losing your own life in the sense of your own wishes, wants, desires, how, many, how, how big is the battle? How hard is it when I've heard from you know, being a youth pastor for so many years, I really feel God is calling me to the mission field. That's great. Where's the battle? The battle comes as all of a sudden Mr. Perfect comes in to the youth group and now I'm going to get married. Well, I thought you said you were going on the mission field. Yeah, yeah, that's great. But I met Mr. Perfect. But I, but I thought you were going on the mission field. Well, I, I, it's still there. We'll see. And when, when, you, when you begin to do that kind of stuff, what you begin to do is you're like, you know what? I know I said I'd lose my life for Jesus, but I will get married to this guy, and we will just we'll go to church We'll be good tithers. We'll get involved in children's ministry and all these different kinds of stuff, and, and we'll just really go. These are not heaven and hell issues. Trust me, they're not. If they are, we're all doomed. It's not heaven and hell issues. These are just the things that come into our life that sometimes we don't really think of that are not bad things. They're just not the God things. And there becomes this battle, war between flesh and spirit of what I want to do. And the flesh is pretty good, man. He, you know, stick and move, man, right? Because it wants what it wants. Now listen, I'm not speaking about anybody. I'm speaking really about myself. Because there were times when I was young and I was, I was wanting to follow the Lord that I would have done anything. I wanted to do anything that he wanted me to do. But there was just so much flesh in me, it was choking out that life and say, listen, settle and compromise. And what Jesus is saying is like, listen, man, if you lose your life for my sake, you're going to find more than you ever bargained for. So Steve, if he was calling me to the mission field, I would have to trust that everything that I'm lacking or everything that I need is going to be found in the preparation and the sending of where he's sending me because I'm not taking my flesh with me. I'm not taking my little blankie. Remember your little blankie you had when you were a kid? And you'd, you'd, it was so soft, and it was your security blanket, and you, you got grandkids or kids now, and they have their little blankets. I love them. They're great. They're awesome. But you know what? It's not really good for a spiritual man at 51 taking his little spiritual blankie around. And it feels so soft. You got to let it go. If you're going to experience his true security your life. Lastly, what am I talking about? Forget that. The next thing he says is, for what will it profit? So, right, okay, so whoever wishes to save his life is going to lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake is going to find it. It's totally different than how the culture teaches it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what will he give in exchange for his soul? Now, now, now flip the page. Matthew chapter 19, we have an example of this, don't we? In, uh, starting in verse 16. Look what he says. And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain, that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, well, Why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one who is good, but if you wish to enter into life, then keep the commandments. I find that an astonishing answer from Jesus. Don't you? You want, hey, keep the commandments. There's really so much there that I, I don't have time to go into and explore. Then he said, which ones? And Jesus said, well, you know, you should not commit murder, and you should not commit adultery, and you should not steal, and you should not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I don't even think that's all the commandments. Jesus isn't even giving him the fullness. Well, just, just keep these. As if he had. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept. What am I still lacking? You see, in the Christian life, to make up for surrender we sometimes try to work really hard at other things. All the while knowing the harder we work, 
the greater the divide. And so he's like, I'm saying I've done all these things. I'm better at people than this, than other people at these, these commandments that you've done. I've worked real hard. I, I, I feel satisfied in knowing that I've done what you asked in keeping the law, which is the bold statement. But yet there's something that is inside me that senses that there is a lack. And I don't know what to do with this. I can't fix this. No matter how good I am in relationship with other people, I'm noticing that inside myself there is a distance, there is a space, there is a divide, and I, I can't fix it. I can't fill it with enough things. And Jesus is saying, Oh, you want to be complete. Oh, you want, or some of your translations, oh, you want to be perfect. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought you just wanted to keep the law. You want to be perfect, right? Yeah, I, I want to know, Jesus. If you wish to become complete, then go and sell your possessions, give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. What a fantastic invitation to join Jesus. You see, his perfection didn't lie with his striving or his possessions. Because look, he says, but the young man, when he heard this statement, went away grieving, for he owned much property. See, what that lack was in his own life were the decisions that he made to fulfill flesh and desires of flesh, all the while noticing that it wasn't filling the lack that was inside him. And when he comes face to face with the one who can do all things and is all things, can fill all things, he had too much of himself that when the invitation came, he doesn't sell it all. Hey, come follow me, because that's where your treasure's going to be. We think that's a money thing. And so if I stay poor, I won't have the problem. It's a human thing. It's a what-do-I-really-love thing. Because you can be the richest man in the world and be broke. You can be the poorest man in the world by culture, society and be the richest person spiritually and, have, and be fulfilled. So it was so interesting as I was going through this. I, was, I, I got up early this morning looking through these things and, you know, competing with my flesh with the phone and um, reading, reading some things and looking at some other things and then, oh, what's going on over here? And in the midst of what's going on here with my phone, I came up with the 52 richest people in the world. I'm not talking millionaires. I'm talking people that could buy and sell countries. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about billionaires in the sense of $1 billion. I'm talking about people that are ranked up there to around their worth is $98 billion. And I didn't go all the way to the end yet. I didn't all go all the way down to number one. $98 billion. And I'm like, you know, you just give me a few thousand dollars, man, I'm going to be okay. Now listen. I'm not saying to you that all those billionaires have made horrible decisions about Jesus and are going to hell. That's not what I'm saying. I don't know them personally. I can't make that judgment. But I can tell you this. When I saw that, what I was confronted in with in my own life was, see, what do you desire? Do you desire that life? Because I've got to tell you, there's some pretty cool-looking yachts. Do you want to pursue that life? Or 
you want to pursue the life I'm calling you to? Probably the life that he's calling me to is never in my bank account will there ever be something or close to a billion dollars. Can he do it? In a heartbeat. Yes, he can. The issue is not about money. The issue is about my heart and where my desires are. And from where my desires are and what I submit to, what I pursue. And then from what I pursue is, is what I'll receive. So what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? And the rich young world ruler for that had, had gained a lot, had a lot of property, had a lot of money. He was set up, he was positioned, had a great 101K, because it was the first century, and, and you know, was going to be fine. Everything was wonderful, but still noticing lack. And here comes the rub. If you want to be complete, you got to get rid of the other lovers in your life, man. Because you can't be married to your wife and loving somebody else throughout the week. You can't talk about how great your marriage is when you're surfing on the internet on things. You can't, you can't have different lovers. It doesn't work like that. And, and Jesus is not saying, cracking a whip and saying, you're horrible, you're horrible. That's not what he's saying because he paid for it. He's saying, I, I paid for this. Listen, there's life that is better. Don't listen to those other lovers. Get rid of them. Come, experience my love because you'll, you'll never want anything else. It's, it's not about my striving, but it's just about coming to that place of, of surrender. And that's not a message of, of what about you. And if you're thinking, I wish my nephew would get this message, you're missing the point. Messages for you personally and for me personally, do I want to be a disciple? You may be good. There are people that are probably good out there. I, I get that. There are people that are on their way to good. But there are some that, 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 that aren't good. And I don't know who you are. But the Spirit of the Lord today is reaching out to you. And he is saying, if you will let go of the things that appease your flesh, and it's not just all horrible things, they can be good things, but if you let go of the good things for the God things, there's a whole lot of things you're not going to suffer from later on in life. Because you've already made the decision. When I got married to her, I did not, you never do totally understand the weight of what you're saying until the years go by. Because your vows are tested. And what's tested the most is, you know, the two becoming one. What's tested the most is the breaking of oneness so that you can be yourself. This is why he gave us marriage as a, as a representation of how it works between us and him. So if I'm selfish, I'm breaking oneness with us. If she's selfish, she's breaking the oneness. And what the Lord is saying is that when you pursue yourself, you'll, you'll suffer oneness. You'll suffer intimacy. And you'll feel the lack and the divide in your life from it. This, please hear me. This is, I'm not trying to manipulate you into something. I'm, I'm not trying to be old-time holiness Nazarene back in the day and, and beat you with the Bible. That's not what I'm trying to do. Please, don't receive it like that. He, Jesus is so much better and gooder <laughs> than I am. And he's not yelling at you. He's not, he's not disappointed. He's not coming from a place of anger and judgment. That's reserved at the end. He's coming at a place right now of unfiltered love and desire for you. And he's saying, trust me with that. Desire it yourself, even in, a little, in the little pieces of it, and watch what he can do with it. So listen to this. this is, now this is really the end. He says, uh, truly I say to you, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
And again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples heard this, and they were very astonished and said, then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said, with, with people it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. So he said, listen, you, you can't save yourself. All the things that you pursue in this world that you're desiring, that you're going to fill this hole, is not going to bring about the true salvation that you desire. It's not going to bring about wholeness. It's not going to bring about healing. It's not going to bring about deliverance. It's going to bring a whole lot of bondage. But when you can accept the fact that Jesus is all and all, that everything that you need, guess what? You're going to be filled with his presence. Jesus doesn't have roommates. He doesn't share apartments. He comes in, evicts everything else, and fills your life with his sweet presence. And that's what he desires to do. And that's what it means to, to be a disciple. Please don't think that it's hard. It just starts with surrender. It's a journey. It's a journey. And he's teaching you things every step of the way through the journey. And every day it's Steve. Surrender. Surrender what? Well, the same thing we talked about yesterday, Steve. <laughs> okay, Lord, I want to do it faster next time. <laughs> I want to get better at the surrendering thing, Lord. You know what? He does too. Him and I agree on some things over Steve's life. There's a power in agreement. And so I have every expectancy to believe that what the Lord wants to do in my life is going to happen in my life because I want it to happen in my life. And him and I agree on that. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean it's not going to be challenges. I get that. But the purpose of my heart is for him to have everything. Amen. Thanks for joining with us today. And if that message touched your heart in some way, please let us know by emailing us at info.kingdomlife.aol.com You can also find us and reach out to us on Facebook. And we hope that you will join us again for another podcast from Kingdom Life Community Church.